Well, welcome back to Resonate Truth. In this episode, I will be sharing the second half of the short story I wrote, The Prince's Bride. And I'll start about a paragraph back just to help kind of jump back into where we left off last time. Here we go. Don't freak out, Sophia. I'm sure it's nothing to do with the book. It's only a mild skin irritation. But by dinner time, she could no longer coach her panic away. The dark rash had spread over her entire hand and started up her arm. Worse, she saw a small splotch on her left hand as well. That night, she put the text under her bed and sat huddled under her blanket, wondering what came next. The next morning, the first thing she did was look down at her arms. To her horror, the patches had turned a dark ash color and had spread up to her neck. She had to do something about this and quick. She would lose her position if she showed up at her morning rounds covered in the scaly disease. What had the plain prince said would happen? She couldn't remember. Why hadn't she paid closer attention? What had he told the princess afterward? Oh, that's right. The book wasn't supposed to curse you or hurt you, only reflect your true condition. So maybe this would be as bad as it would get. She promised to not read any further, put on her long-sleeved blouse and her only pair of gloves, and rushed to the servant's breakfast table. The other servants ridiculed Sophia for wearing gloves to breakfast, but chide as they might, she seemed to be quite serious about them and made no move to take them off. So they grew tired of their sport and left her alone about it. But Sophia's heart would not let her alone. Would the splotches go away, or would they get worse? She determined quickly that come what may, she must hide it from the household for as long as possible. All day as she worked, the text appeared in her mind. She couldn't escape the burden as it weighed on her heart. Every fresh pulse of blood seemed to beat her doom. Then she remembered the prince had mentioned something about that too. In her desperation, a wild idea came into her mind. Maybe the book only had its power over you until you finished reading it, or perhaps it would show her another angle of hope or restoration that was incomplete because she had stopped short. She grew still and stared out the window of the great library, wondering if it was worth the risk to finish the book. As she looked out, she saw several servants of the prince packing up their belongings. They must be getting close to the end of their stay at the castle. But even as she watched them, they grew more dim and slightly blurry. That settled it. She would finish the book that night. Sophia stole two candles from the dining room and took them to her bedroom that night. That should be enough candlelight to complete her reading. She sat down at once and opened to her place and set to reading feverishly, almost not understanding the words as she read them. As her first candle began to sputter out, hours later, she quickly grabbed the second candle and lit it on the first right before its dying flame turned into a thin thread of smoke. The time had flown by, and what had started out as an act of superficial desperation settled into deep ache and yearning. Her heart drew her on, page after page, the truths written there awakening, the matching truths slumbering within her. When only a quarter of the second candle remained, she realized she could no longer read, having only a little sight left. She picked up the candle and walked over to her window. With a moonless night outside 
and the bright candle inside, the panes now functioned quite well as a mirror. Sophia could barely recognize the figure that looked back at her in the window. Her condition had worsened so quickly. She was shocked at first by the sight, and then by the deep conviction that this grave state was not new. From the day she was born, pink, innocent, and cute on the outside, she had been marred inside by the seed of death. Every judgment the prince had said was true and had applied to her, not just the princess. She could only hope that his offer to help would extend to her as well. Wrapping herself quickly in her shawl, she stumbled out into the dark night. Everything around her was fuzzy, dim, and disappearing. Her entire body trembled and hurt. Her strength was failing as quickly as her sight, and she wanted to run, but feared she might end up running in the wrong direction. She tripped on an invisible rock, seemingly opposed to her progress, and fell onto another, knocking the wind out of her lungs. As she lay there trying to gasp, silently cursing her misfortune, a blessing came in the silence. She heard a voice, his voice. She was sure it was his. It was coming from a tent a dozen paces away. Maybe she could crawl toward him still, she thought. She mustered all her strength, but only moved her knee a few inches through the mud before her body was unwilling to obey her any longer. Sophia lay on the ground in blind darkness, unaware that the sun was rising and light was flooding into her world. The prince's retinue awoke, ready to begin the great journey home. It was Buck, as he prepared his horse, who was the first to see the wretched creature lying a few feet in front of him. It blended in with the muddy road, camouflaged by a covering of filth. He shouted an alert, and immediately a host of armed soldiers appeared. He motioned at the ground in front of them at something barely moving in the muck ahead, and now making a soft, distressed cry. The prince, fearful of nothing, and compassionate to all, called out, Let me through, and strode forward. He kneeled and reached out calmly to touch it. His hand found the edge of the mud-covered material and pulled it back to reveal a human face, though it was barely recognizable. The woman's skin was transparent, yet covered in black splotches. The dried remains from large sores so you couldn't tell her age, though she looked ancient and hideous. Gaunt and frail, it was all she could do to remain propped up on a bony elbow, looking toward the prince. I say looking toward, not looking at, because all that was left of her eyes were two yellowish ovals. Then she spoke in a hoarse, dry whisper. You don't know me, but I met you two weeks ago. I am much changed now, so you won't recognize me, she began. I am Sophia, one of the princess's servants. The prince nodded. You read the book that I handed you to give to your mistress. Yes, I did give it to her, but she rejected your gift and told me to take it. Your suffering has been great, she nodded. I felt fine at first. I doubted your words. I took my chances, and now they are taking me. Death flows in your veins, that is true. But it has not taken you yet, the prince replied, taking her mummy-like hand in his. No, but soon, she replied. No one can save me now, but at least I have the consolation of asking for your forgiveness. You weren't handsome or regal. 
I found nothing attractive in you, so I despised you. Yet as my wounds and suffering increased, I have often remembered your words. You told the princess you had come to save her, but I didn't understand. I do now. My heart is desperately sick, as you knew hers was when you first visited. Even when my malady manifested itself, I thought it would pass, hoped I could beat it on my own. I was wrong. Please forgive me. You were right all along. I am not worthy of your grace to even speak to me, but I remember your gentle and compassionate eyes, and your kindness gives me courage. Immediately the prince plunged his hands into the reeking mud beneath her and lifted her gently but powerfully in his arms. Tears of compassion rolled down his face and he shouted, I choose Sophia as my bride. In wonder, the jaws of every one of the prince's attendants fell open. Even after a lifetime of being in his presence, watching his gracious ways, they froze in stunned silence at this declaration. Then, like the slow rising of the sun at dawn, they realized that they had still underestimated the richness of his compassion and mercy. But could it really be that he would stoop so low? Quickly, lay out a blanket and prepare the transfusion instruments, the prince shouted, his determination cutting through their hesitancy and rousing his party to action. With a large blanket stretched over the mud, the prince lay Sophia on it gently, stretching out her arm, and then he laid down next to her. Two servants, as impressive as princes themselves, lifted a large wooden chest and carried it over, straining as they did, and set it near the prince. As they opened the lid and drew out two large needles connected with tubes, a third attendant cried out, Lord, you know what will happen if you do this. Yes, I know, the prince replied gravely. He took the first large needle and pierced his vein. Then he took the second, and looking at Sophia's face, he paused and asked, Are you willing to give up what little you have for me? Yes, if I am yours, then so is all I have, even if I had the whole world, she replied. His hand began to shake uncontrollably, something his servants had never seen before, even when face to face with the terrible host of darkness. Still trembling, with sweat breaking out on his face, he looked up to heaven and did something else that they had never seen him do before. He asked in a pitiful whisper, Is there any other way? After a silent moment, where no one dared breathe, it was as if he had received the answer, no. He stabbed the other needle deep into Sophia's heart. Immediately they both cried out, the prince in agony, and Sophia with renewed life. He touched her face and said with firm resolution, I won't let anything separate you from my love. No enemy, not even death. As the prince's blood flowed through her heart, her eyes were immediately restored to full brightness, and she felt the healing spread throughout her body. But the royal party did not celebrate yet, because next to her, the mightiest and best of men was writhing in misery as death flowed through him. Sorrow stabbed at their hearts, mixed with wonder and worship of their master. After waiting for several hours, it was clear that the prince would not revive. So a cohort lifted his body, wrapped him to his faithful steed, 
One servant spoke a word into the ear of the massive horse, and it raced away, bearing the son home to his father, the king. They placed Sophia on a resplendent horse that had been prepared for the prince's bride-to-be. She looked down at her arms and touched her face. She was healed in every way, though still covered in her filthy rags, and warm tears cut through the dirt on her face and revealed her restored glowing cheeks. She felt exhausted and giddy and in shock, and her mind raced through what had happened to her over and over as the party picked up the protracted journey home. As the party wove their way through Arduin mountain paths, Sophia sometimes wondered if they even knew where they were going. Surely all this doubling back and winding around wasn't necessary, wasn't the best way to the king's home and to the prince. Her prince? Was he really going to marry her? Could he overcome death? Or was it silly to hope? On the darkest and coldest night of the trek, she opened her eyes and saw only blackness and smelled the familiar stench of her clothing. She heard no sound and returned to her old, unseeing, hopeless reality. There was no prince. The dream had just been that, a dream of her own conjuring, and she was back where she had started, where she belonged, blind and dying. She sat for a long time in building misery, until the emotions spilled out in silent tears. As she heaved a sob, she heard a slow, deep exhale from her horse and felt his warm muzzle as she reached up into the darkness. He was real. He wasn't a dream. She knew it, and this truth restored her confidence in her memories of being lifted and placed on the great horse's back. Sophia felt a pulse of comfort and relief spread over her like a warm, heavy blanket. It had happened. She had been chosen. Sophia drifted to sleep slowly as belief pushed back her doubts, and she awoke to a bright morning with a new resolve. What were the prince's last words to me? She asked a soldier nearby, who happened to be Buck. He promised you that nothing would separate you from his love, Buck replied. Yes, Sophia smiled. That's what I remembered, too. Don't let me forget it, please. Very well. Ask me each morning, and I will tell you anew. The party added many more days and nights to their journey. They filled some moments with laughter, but most were hard. Doubts and fears never left Sophia, but she warded off each lie with a promise, a promise given to her by the man who had the power and character to back up every word he had spoken. She barely caught sight of the city when someone announced that the king was riding out to meet her. Immediately, Sophia found a pit in her stomach. Oh no, she thought. He won't allow me to marry his son. I'm a total disaster. I haven't even washed. But then, catching her completely by surprise, she found herself caught up in the powerful arms of the king. She knew she was safe forever when he took her grubby face in both of his hands and said, Welcome home, my dear daughter. Then he grinned and added, You've been in these rags long enough. My son has cleaned you inside. It's time your outside matched. They burned her old clothes, and she took the longest, most wonderful hot shower. You might have expected a bubble bath to be more luxurious, but a bath is only nice if you're already clean. So in Shaloa, you slip right from the shower into the longest, most luxurious bath you've ever had. Then came the softest, cleanest, 
whitest dress you can imagine, so white it glowed, so clean that its very nature refused to exist with a speck of dust, and so soft that Sophia wanted to cry when she touched it, and actually held up the fabric to her face and whispered, Thank you. As she lowered the marvelous cloth, she was startled by a perfect creature looking back at her in the mirror, copying her every move. She furrowed her brow, staring at herself. The image was unmistakably her, that was obvious, and yet she had not only been made clean, the prince had made her new. She let out a stifled laugh and covered her mouth with her hand as she realized she couldn't deny it. She was perfect. And not just her reflection. The perfection reached to the deepest corners of her soul. She felt joy without pride and delight without superiority. Because even as she stared at her perfect self, her heart marveled only at the one who had loved her into unending bliss. A gentle tap on her shoulder and then a gentle voice. Sophia, it's time. Your wedding day has come. Follow me. You must be ready when the prince arrives. With a swishing swirl of her shimmering dress, they swept her through her jewelry selection, down a towering spiral staircase, and into a small chamber. Wait here, she was advised. As many days and nights as it takes, she replied gladly. Oh, honey, there aren't going to be any nights here, she was told. As she considered this, smiling to herself for a few minutes, a door on the other side of the room opened, and a man beckoned her out into the brilliant afternoon. As her eyes adjusted, she saw the multitudes dressed in white all around her and extending up in the concentric circles of the city. A dozen paces behind her, an enormous gate began to creak and open, and she saw her prince in all his glory for the first time, just as I told you earlier in my story. I promised you this was going to be a story about the best party ever, and you've been very patient. Let the feast begin. I crossed the courtyard and climbed through a window in the wall. As all the doorways were crowded, I was met by a grand view. A sprawling, grassy field was quickly being filled with happy celebrants, each finding their seats at a most unique table. It was one huge, unending spiral, with seating for tens of thousands, at the head of the table, or perhaps the heart of the table is more accurate, sat the prince and his bride. As I made my way into the spiral, I saw a long, powerful arm pop up and begin waving. It was Buck. I ran over to meet him. Was your plan to beat me here so you could have my portion too, I asked, teasing him. He raised his eyebrows and slowly swept his hand through the air as a proud artist would. My eyes wandered to the spiraling banquet table, replete with food and wine, and I knew Buck's empty plate held no threat over mine. I know we've never known hunger before, but how was it? I asked excitedly. I grew weak after the first bite, Buck admitted sheepishly. I've never felt that before. It was weird. It appears the prince has been keeping the best even from us all these years. I laughed and sat down to join the feast. I too was hit with a weakening wave of wonder as I tasted flavors, felt textures, and smelled aromas that were new and heavenly. I was soaking in the relaxing hum of enjoyment and mirth emanating from the throng, but with a special anticipation. 
because my moment of great honor was approaching, though I did not know exactly when. Then I heard the prince speaking the order to my heart. Now it is time. I looked upward and shot up into the air like a fireworks shell, glowing hot and white. As I reached the apex of my flight, I slowed and finally hovered midair. Then I called out with the special voice given to me by my maker. Buck was given strength. I was given a voice like golden trumpets covered in velvet. Many thousands of years ago, our king made the kingdom a promise, I began. Many believed it was only legend. Some thought him slow, despairing that he would never keep his promise. Hear now the reading and fulfillment of the promise, I continued in my thundering royal tone. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the king will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, and here I paused, and the multitude stood. Joining their voices, they cried out loudly, Behold, this is our king. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Today we have seen and tasted the fulfillment of the promise I called down to them, and a great din of cheering erupted from the crowd. I let them go on for a time before raising my hands to quiet them. Hear now the speech from the bridegroom, your prince. The prince stood up at the beginning of the table and continued to rise slowly until all could see him, passing me as I swept down to my place at the table. I have dearly desired to eat this meal with you all. I have waited long for this day, and you have waited with me. It is finished. I drank the cup of wrath for my bride on the trail, and she was healed. Now she is home. So, let us raise no longer the cup of promise, but the cup of fulfillment together. And he raised a crystal glass high over his head like a giant ruby. The host, who had all continued to stand in silence, also raised their glasses. The king is faithful and mighty. He has fulfilled his perfect plan and promise. To him be the glory forever. Amen, came the resounding echo from the crowd, and we all drank deeply. Now, may your joy increase as my bride and I visit with each of you, the prince invited, as he floated back down to his place at the center of the table. Merriment and celebrating continued for days, though no one could tell since it didn't get dark when the sun set, and no one felt the need to rush, as each servant in the kingdom took a turn to meet the bride. Finally, with a flutter of excited butterflies in my stomach, I saw the couple approaching Buck and me. The prince's power radiated over us in waves of glorious light that took my breath away and warmed my heart. Beside him was his bride, more beautiful than the angels. Hello there, I said, looking down a bit, embarrassed by her beauty. May I ask you a question? 
Of course, no need to be shy, she replied softly. This is my first day as royalty, you know. I'm quite ordinary, except for the love that is mine. I looked up into her perfect eyes and asked, As the prince came through the castle gate, and you looked on him in the face for the first time, what was that like? Sophia smiled. I felt so many things all at once. It felt like coming home to those you love after a long journey and knowing you never have to leave them again. Like the warm sun on your face after a cold night and knowing your life will only get warmer. Like the most wonderful dream you've ever dreamed and you want to hold on to it. But you realize you are awake and the nightmares are gone. When I saw him look at me, it was as if every wonderful thing I had ever experienced was mine, was made just for me. And I knew I would never, ever lose it. And that moment, when he leaned in close to you, I ventured, what did he tell you? He said, you're beautiful. Well, thanks for listening to my story, The Prince's Bride. I hope it's been fun and entertaining for you and you've entered into it. Uh, But I also hope, more importantly, that if you like the young lady of the story early on, aren't aware of the black stains in your own heart that you can't wash away and you can't survive on your own, that you would look to Jesus as your Savior, as the one to rescue you. And if you do know this and believe him and follow him, then I hope this story is something you can cling to on the darkest nights of your road through your mountain paths before you get home, that you would know for sure the promises that were made to you that are true and that are awaiting you, that you'll look forward to the feast and the celebrating and the joy forever, but even more than that excitement, that you will look forward to the day when you're made completely new and perfect by his power And you get to see him face to face and enjoy his perfect presence forever.